What a crowd. You guys appreciate the classical music. Pro proving that young people, young people can be cultured. Actually, we're very blessed to have Luke here at The Rock. Luke actually travels all over the world playing. I don't know if you knew that, but you know it now. So afterwards, you can come and ask him for his autograph. We started a series last week entitled, Why I Need Prayer to Live. And it's really just my opportunity to share with you some of my reflections on prayer. What prayer has meant to me for the last 30 years of my life. But I thought it would be important this evening to start off with just a, a couple introductory remarks. You know, I do not know what your set of circumstances are here this evening. I don't know what particularly brought you here. But I would guess that, that each person that's here this evening is seeking, has some spiritual interest, some desire to connect with God. But you may also have particular difficulties that are going on in your life right now. I can't possibly know what all of those are, but there is someone who does. It would be pointless for us to pray at all if there was not a supreme being who passionately cares about every single one of you. And I want to impress that upon you this evening before I get started, that there is a God, we can know Him, and He cares deeply about what's going on in your life. He cares deeply about your set of circumstances, your fears, your anxieties, your circumstances, your troubles, your difficulties, whatever they are, God makes Himself available to help. God makes Himself available to listen. God wants to get involved in your life. And that's really what prayer does. Prayer involves God in our lives. Prayer invites God in our lives. Prayer avails us of this supernatural power that God is willing to share with you and I. When I first started my journey in Christianity, now I grew up in a Christian environment. I grew up with a mother and a father that were, as a young person, they were very devout. My mother has remained devout throughout all of her life. And I grew up watching my mother and father pray. I grew up watching my mother pray for neighbors. I grew up watching my mother pray for provisions that the family needed. I watched my mother pray for relatives that were sick. I remember when I was in the third or fourth grade, we lived in Muscatine, Iowa. And my mother had this, my mother just has a big heart. And she wanted to, uh, she loves children. So she wanted to reach out to children in my school was called McKinley Elementary School. So my mother decided to start a, a good news club in her house. We lived one block from the school, and you had to literally go down our block to get to the school. So she told me, Mark, I'm going to begin praying, and I want you to invite all of your friends. And before you knew it, there was 30, 40 of my peers from that little elementary school that would come to my mother's home, my home as well, two afternoons a week, from my mother's homemade cookies, missionary stories, and stories about God. I, I did, have not always been following Christ, and as I grew older and got into my teenage years, I just kind of decided I didn't want anything to do with God. But when I was 19 years of age, God did some incredible things in my life. 
And he got my attention. That was 30 years ago. And for the last 30 years, it has been my habit to talk to God. It has been my habit to bring my needs and my concerns to God. It has been my habit to bring all the concerns, all the worries, all the things that I need, all the blessings that I seek, whatever it is, it has been my habit to talk with God. The Bible tells us, ask and you receive, knock and the door will be opened, seek and you will find. And I take those things literally as do millions and millions of other people throughout the world. And I have experienced God supernaturally working in my life. I'll never forget one particular time. I had a couple small children at the time. My wife and I were going through a very, very difficult financial period of our lives. And when I say difficult, I mean excruciatingly difficult. Couldn't pay the bills difficult. Had a, I drove a $200 car, and I'd buy the tires from the junkyard if ever I needed tires. I was working about 80 hours a week and making about $10,000, $11,000 a year. Just before this period of my working these two jobs, I had no jobs. The business that I had with another friend it stopped. The company stopped. Our business stopped. And uh, it, it wasn't making much money. We were, we were just trying to survive. And we did construction on the side. And both the businesses, they just kind of fell flat. I had no savings. I had no money to put in savings. So for three months, I was out of work. Every day, I would go out to the garage. I was renting a duplex at the time. I would go out to the garage and I would pray. And I would ask God to provide for the needs of my family. And every day I would look through the phone book. I didn't have a car at the time. The car I had, I had to turn back into the dealership. It was part of the company deal that I worked for. And so I paid them to take the car back so that I wouldn't have to miss the payments. And I began to pray and I began to pray and I began to pray. Three months after praying, I finally found a job. There's a lot of details to that. Pretty amazing details, but I won't go into those. So I got the job selling auto parts. The guy who hired me told me that the company's doing about $20,000 a month. Mark, you make about 6% of that, so you make about $1,200 a month. Now, that was big. That was going to be more than I'd ever made in my life. Problem was, I took the job and I started making sales calls, and I found out that no one wanted to do business with this company. I'll never forget, on the third sales call, I walked into this shop, and after I introduced myself and then said where I was from, the guy cussed and swore at me, pointed to the door and said, get out. This was not looking promising. I went to the next place, the same thing happened, and I began to realize the man who hired me, who lived 50 miles away, <clears throat> had ruined the reputation of this company. He had lied to people that he had done business with, and now they portrayed that on me and the store. When I got back that evening, I began rummaging through the desk, which was kind of in my sort of office in this junky corner, and found the book that had all the day's receipts for the last five years and discovered that the company was only doing $8,000 in business a month. Take that time six, and that's not very much money. 
He told me all my expenses, we paid my gas, and, well, he lied. Actually, they would advance me the money, and then I had to pay them back each month. I was extremely dejected. I was extremely dejected. Not only had I been trusting God and praying for God to provide something for my family, but then he provided me something, but the guy lied to me, and I felt completely set up. I felt completely emotionally taken advantage of. I knew that God hadn't, but these were, you may not know this or not, but the early 80s were really difficult times, the late 70s and early 80s in our economy. I wasn't reading material in those days, so I didn't know. All I knew is, we're broke. And I didn't know what to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in sales. To be honest, I wish for a solid year I could have every Christian become a salesman on commission only. It'll change your prayer life. Let me just put it that way. You'll either die or pray. Especially if you know you can't quit. See, I knew I can't quit. This is all I have. I looked for three months. I was a trained machinist. I was a very good machinist. I could not find a job to beg, borrow, steal as a machinist. So I took this job. One day after, you know, it was about my first week, I decided, I, 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 I just, I'd made my ten sales calls. It was about 2.30 in the afternoon and I needed to be back at the office by 5. And I decided I, I was really discouraged. So I went to the back of this park. It was called Brookside Park in Ames, Iowa. And in the very back of the park where no one can find you, hidden kind of by these trees, <clears throat> is a place where all the druggies used to go and smoke pot. But the police kind of cracked down on it, so they weren't there anymore. But this run-down old stone shelter was there. No one ever went to it anymore. So it became my place. And every afternoon, every single afternoon, I went back to that stone shelter. And many times, I'm not ashamed to tell you this, I'm going to get into this tonight, with tears in my eyes, I prayed. I prayed for our finances. I prayed for my company. I prayed that God would give me business. I prayed that God would help me grow. See, I, I understood the bigger picture. I knew that God was trying to do something in my life. I knew that God wanted to reveal Himself to me. I had read the Bible already many times, and now it's been hundreds of times, and I understood clearly that everything in the Bible that ended up good started out bad. Whether it's Joseph, or Daniel, or Noah, or Abraham, or the kings, or Paul's life, or even Jesus. Before there was the resurrection, there was death. Now I understood that, but it didn't lessen the pain that I was experiencing. It didn't lessen the need that I had. <clears throat> so I made kind of a personal commitment that if I was going to go out every day and call on these complete strangers for business, that I was going to reserve an hour, five days a week, each afternoon, to go out and call on my boss, God, the Father. And the Bible says in Hebrews that God calls into being that which does not exist. It doesn't have to exist. 
God can make it. So I just began, God, I pray, pray you bless this business. I pray that you'd open doors that when I go now, you have to understand, this was, this was big time praying for me. There were five other auto parts stores in a town of 40,000. Two of those stores had three delivery trucks that ran all the time. I had one. Three of those stores got deliveries overnight. My deliveries took three or four days. And two of those stores had three women that worked for them that delivered parts in bikinis. Mine was the smallest, the weakest, and the most pathetic auto parts store in the entire town. Not that I'm advocating delivering in bikinis. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there were a lot of reasons why not to call my phone number and use my oil filters. And as I looked out on the panorama of my life and my circumstances, it seemed like everything is stacked against me. I need God. That's all there is to it. I need God. So I pray, and I pray, and then I would go out, and I would make calls. And I would go out, and there were a lot of other things I was praying for, by the way. I wasn't just praying for business. But the Bible tells us we can pray for our daily bread. In my situation, the only way I could get daily bread was if some guy bought oil filters for me. Understand the connection. If someone didn't buy spark plugs, mufflers, batteries, oil filters, engine parts from my store, I didn't have daily bread. So I prayed. One of the first major breakthroughs was about five months into this time of praying. This guy who kicked me out of his place of business, his name was Larry, he ordered $6,000 of mufflers and exhaust and put them in his store so that he could have the parts when people came. That was unheard of in those times. This guy who had cussed and swore at me now bought, at the end of that year, for the first time in that store's history in Ames, we were doing $18,000 a year in business. The business had more than doubled. And I'll tell you, I'm not a great salesman. I don't know a lot about cars, but I knew something about God. And I knew something about prayer. And I made a commitment to pray. And what I want to discuss with you to this evening is how to pray. I find over the years of ministry that lots and lots of people just simply don't know how to pray. There's nothing magical about it, but there are some basic things that the Bible teaches us about prayer, and I would like to share some of those with you this evening. <clears throat> the first one is found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. When you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father Secretly. Then your Father, who knows all secrets, will reward you. First thing. First thing you need to understand about prayer. Is that you need to get alone and get undistracted. Get alone and get undistracted. Now I'll show you some passages in a moment that make it really clear that Jesus wasn't literally saying you need to go into a dark, dark room, shut the door behind you, and pray there. You know why? Well, because Jesus never did. So, 
Jesus was using a figurative example of getting alone with God, getting undistracted, and talking to Him. If you really believe there is a God, you'll pray. If you really believe in the promises of the Scripture, you'll pray. But the first step is in the how-to is find a place you can get alone. For years and years and years, I've been here now 18 and a half years in the Twin Cities. Wherever I go in the world, when I travel, when I do conferences, the first thing I find is a place of aloneness to pray. When I will go to Berlin, Germany, when I fly there, I stay in a friend's apartment and about four blocks away is a cemetery with bullet holes and all these old granite tombstones from World War II. Early in the morning, there's no one there. Later on in the day, people walk through it, but early in the morning, they're not. And I go early in the morning, I find a place. When I go to Honduras, there's a mountain and a road. And I go from my friend's house and I walk up the side of that mountain to that road and I pace alone back and forth. For years and years here, I went to Fort Snelling. And in the backside of Fort Snelling is a giant old stone shelter with giant doors. And I would go inside there and I would ram wood under the doors so no one could get into my space. And they stock it with wood and I would build a roaring fire even when it was 30 below. And I would walk round and round because the fire pit's right in the middle, round, and I would pray. Sometimes I would put picnic tables together. The concrete was too cold and I'd walk back and forth on top of the picnic tables and I'd pray. Now I live in Egan. They tore up the Diamond T Ranch. I'm not too excited about that. I really like the horses out there. But across from the Diamond T Ranch is a lake. And by that lake is a gravel road. There's hardly any gravel roads. And I go to that gravel road and I walk in the morning, early, up and down that gravel road. And if I go there and there's someone else there, I have three other spots that I can go because I never pray when people are around me. Well, unless I'm in a prayer meeting with you. Find a place alone. It could be your garage. It could be your attic. It could be the inside of your car. Then let me share with you another observation about prayer and the how to pray. Not only is it important that you get alone, but it's important that you engage your emotions. It's important that you understand that you are able, when you talk to God, to let every possible emotion out and you're not going to shock God. Let me read to you from the life of Jesus. While Jesus was here on earth, Tim, if you could give me a little more mantra, I'd appreciate it. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could deliver him out of death. Now, this is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's God. And what does it say he's doing? It says that with loud cries and pleadings and prayers and tears, he talked to God. Pray out loud. Pray out loud. Talk to God like you're talking to another person. You know, one of the great tragedies that I see happening today, I want to be very careful how I make this comment because it could be misconstrued. 
Today, it's almost vogue to have a counselor. It's kind of like having a, I don't know, a PDA, you know, or a Palm Pilot, or a heated seat, or a heated steering wheel, or a, you know, a massage therapist. You got a massage therapist, and you have a therapist. Let me tell you what I, what I see happening today among Christians. I see a lot of people doing what God looks at Israel and reproves them for in the Old Testament. They're looking to humans for help that God would long to give to you if you'd just come and talk to Him. And so what we do instead is we reach into our pocket, although I'll tell you this, if we were all having to pay for this ourselves, a lot less people would be doing it. Instead, that $200 an hour gets paid through your HMO. But you know what you're really doing often? is you're paying someone to listen to you spill your guts. You expect them to be patient. You expect them to be understanding. You expect them to have answers. Now, I believe that there's a time in a person's life the counselor may be helpful and necessary, particularly a Bible-based counselor. But i got to tell you right now, I believe it's become for many people the crutch that God intended to be. And that you're missing out on the therapy of prayer. You know, have you ever thought for a moment how stressed out your life could be? You think your life's more stressed out than Jesus, who knows that in just a few short years, he's going to have to die for the sin of the world. He's got people who are trying to kill him. He's got people who doubt him. He's got people who are making demands on his time day after day after day after day. One of the things we're going to look at in just a moment is the routine of prayer. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, would often withdraw to a lonely place in the wilderness to pray. It says Jesus would often withdraw to a lonely place in the wilderness to pray. The question is, do you? Do you? When I read through the list and I emailed it to all of you last week, when I made the statement that prayer keeps my sanity, it maintains my sanity and strengthens it, I meant it. God is my therapist. God is my therapist. He is my counselor. He's the one I bring every... There is nothing, nothing that I do not talk to God about. No matter how awful I'm feeling, no matter, it might be with my marriage, it might be with being a dad, it might be with people in my life, it might be things, ugly things going on inside of me. There's nothing I've not admitted to God. There's nothing, of course, we know. You could say, well, Mark, God knows everything about you anyway. That's true, He does. But I don't, I don't, how do I put this? I don't rely on that. I know that I need for my own soul to tell him everything about me. Or you don't receive the benefit of prayer. The benefit of prayer, one of the benefits is unburdening your soul to God. Unburdening your life. Admitting, Lord, I really screwed up here. I thought this, I did this, I said this, Lord, I made a giant mess. I need your help. The beautiful thing about God is that He's free and He's available all the time. I'd like to share with you 
now the routine of prayer. For many people here, we miss something vitally important. Jeff, could you do me a favor? You know back where I usually sit, there's a bottle of water sitting on the floor right by my seat. Could you get it for me? Thanks, Jeff. In Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, the Bible says this of Daniel. Daniel was a Jewish slave. And thank you very much, Ted. I should have brought it up with me, but I didn't. Gets this time of year and my allergies kick in. Daniel was in a very difficult set of circumstances. His family had been murdered. His brothers and sisters were dead. And he was now a slave in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace in Babylon. And Daniel was a God-fearing man. In fact, it was Daniel's prayer life, and I'll show you this in a moment, that got him thrown in the lion's den. But what I want to focus on for just a moment was Daniel's life. When Daniel learned that a law had been signed that stated he was not to pray to anyone else, he went home and knelt down as usual, as was his habit, in his upstairs room with his window open to Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done in giving thanks to his God. Now I'll share something with you about prayer. If you wait around till you feel like praying, if you wait around till you feel this emotional need to pray, you won't pray. It'll be very rare. The secret to Daniel's power, the secret to Daniel's prayer life, was that Daniel had a consistent habit, a routine, a specific time in his day that Daniel went to pray. It's a little bit like working out. I personally, you know, I work out because I know it's good for me. If I waited around till I felt like it, and be honest with you, I've been doing this for 16 years. Five to six days a week, 30 minutes to an hour on those days. 16 years. Rarely is there a day that I feel like doing it. Rarely. Rarely do I look in the mirror and go, Oh man, I cannot wait to get on that treadmill, wait to get on that total gym, wait to deal with the free weights. I just can't wait. It's so awesome. It's so wonderful. Actually, I look more forward to prayer than working out. But what I'm saying is, I experienced the benefit of working out because I plugged it into my day and I do it religiously, whether I feel like it or not. When I travel, this is how religious I am about it. When I travel, usually you rarely find any good workout equipment in a motel. You know what I do? I climb their fire escape steps. I find out, I usually stay in a motel that has about three or four floors. And I will go up them and down them for 30 minutes. And I time it. And I go up and down and up and down two steps at a time for 30 minutes. If I get to a place like Honduras where they don't have steps and I'm not in a motel, I'm at a friend's house, then I go find a real steep hill. And I walk up and down that hill for 30 minutes. And then I go into my bedroom and I do my push-ups and my crunchies. Same is true for me with prayer. All the great men and women of God, and I'm going to show you this in just a moment, had a routine to prayer. They made a habit of prayer. They plugged it in their day like, for example, every one of you have a, two, two habits at least in your life. 
You eat and you snack. I know you do. I know you do. I don't even have to have you prove it to me. Most of you probably eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you snack a lot in between. It's the American way. It's just the way we live. It's just what we do. Studies show it. Statistics prove it. That's what we do. It's a routine. It's almost automatic. You've got to learn to put prayer into your life. Jesus, now, in Luke chapter 5, let me read this to you, and again, I, I, I quoted it, but, but Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And then in Mark chapter 1, Excuse me, in verse 35. The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. If you read the Gospels enough, you'll discover that Jesus often went out to the wilderness to pray and the time that He usually did it was early in the morning before the crowds gathered and the world was awake. Jesus was out praying. Now, we also did it at night third person I want to look at is the Apostle Paul. His routine to prayer. Look what he says in Romans. He says this in Romans 1.9, 1 Thessalonians 3.10, and 2 Timothy 1.3. says this, almost the same thing in all three places. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart. In all three of those places... He says, day and night. Day and night, night and day. What does Paul mean? That all night long he prayed and all day long he prayed? You could read it that way, but I believe if you study the text and the other patterns that I mentioned, here's what Paul was saying. In the morning, I have prayers, and in the evening, I also have prayers. The question is, do you? Do you? Have you ever thought to yourself, I mean, really seriously thought to yourself, what your life could be like if instead of watching Desperate Housewives for 30 minutes or Survivor for an hour or Prison Break for an hour or Friends reruns or MASH, whatever your thing is, if you just take that time period, not the whole night, just for that 30 minutes of your favorite show or your, and that hour, and prayed. Have you ever dreamed what might happen in your life? I'll tell you something. You'll never know unless you start turning off the television and doing it. Have you ever dreamed what your life could be like? What things could happen in your life? What ways God could work through your life? If instead of loving your bed, you got up 30 extra minutes in the morning, got ready, and spent 30 minutes before you went to work praying. I quit wondering a long time ago about that and decided I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. And I could tell you story after story after story this evening of amazing answered prayers, of things that I have seen God do over the last 30 years. But for me personally, you know what it all started with? It started with training myself to pray for 10 minutes. For 10 minutes. And I developed a routine of prayer for 10 minutes as a young Christian. And then I began developing that time 
alone, going out alone after my machinist job in the afternoon. I would go home and I would take a shower and wash all the grease off me. I'd get in my 63 Ford Falcon. I'd take some water with me. In those days, well, it was Mountain Dew. It wasn't water, if I'm going to be honest. It was Mountain Dew and Hostess Twinkies. That's the truth. And I would stick them in my backpack and I would drive out to what was called Brushy Creek and I would drive my car back into this woods all by myself. No one ever came out there. And I would read and I would pray. And I would pray for many of the things that are happening today I was praying for when I was 20. And then I want to show you one other routine of prayer just in case you think I'm maybe exaggerating this. This is a very interesting one. In 1 Timothy 5, 5. Paul is writing and he's talking about widows who lose their husband. You know, women who lost their husband. And he's giving the church instruction on what widows to take care of. In other words, there was kind of a social program in the church. But as with the Bible, and I'm not going to get into this tonight, maybe a topic for another time, just who should we take care of? Well, Paul was talking about this. He said, the church should care for any widows who have no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God very much. But a woman who is a true widow, one who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God, and night and day she asks God for help, and she spends much time in prayer. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead. Give these instructions to the church so that the widows you support will not be criticized. But those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe such people are worse than non-Christians. You know what kind of widows were supposed to be put on the list? This is also found in another passage. Widows who had loved their husbands, raised their children, were devoted to good deeds, and were devoted to prayer. And what does it describe here as this widow's prayer life? She spends much time in prayer, night and day. She has, There's that night and day habit again. There's morning prayers, there's evening prayers. There's prayers in the day, there's prayer at night. Prayer in the day, prayer at night. This is not an exaggeration. This was the habit of the saints of old. This was the habit of the early church. You've got to develop a routine in your prayer. I want to quickly go over the content of prayer. Just in case you wonder, how many of you received all those verses I sent to you in your email? Okay, how many of you took some time to read over some of them? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're going to appreciate that. Let me just share with you the content of prayer. The first is anything and everything. Anything and everything. It does not matter to God. But I want to give you some specifics. Because all these are found in those verses I sent you. Troubles, fears, worries, concerns, frustrations, joys, sorrows, needs, desires, your physical health, your finances, your spiritual life, wisdom, direction from God, insights, grace, personal needs, failures, spiritual growth, your job, 
other people's needs, thanksgiving, praises to God, things that anger you, stresses in your life, relationships, prayers for a mate, prayer for your marriage, prayer for your children, prayer for the temptations you face, the salvation of others. And the list could go on and on and on. Honestly expressing to God all that is on your heart. This is what prayer is. And it encompasses everything in your world. Nothing, nothing is outside the realm of prayer. There's nothing that you have to think to yourself, I can't, I can't talk to God about that. You can talk to God about your abusive past. You can talk to God about your immoral life. You can talk to God about whatever temptations you're struggling with. You can talk to God about all the icky things that you may be thinking about another person. It'd be a really good idea to put those cards out on the table and let God deal with you on those things. There is nothing that you have to be afraid of to talk to God. He loves you and He cares about you and you are the primary concern of His existence. He loves and cares deeply for your life. But I'll tell you something about what the Scripture would indicate to us. The Scripture indicates that God has willingly tied His hands and will not work in our lives unless we ask Him. You know why? Because God's not intrusive. God is not rude. And He's not going to come into the home of the person who does not invite Him. And He's not going to invade the life of the person who does not invite Him. It's just really that simple. All throughout the Bible, the example that we have are people asking God and God responding to their prayer. Them asking God and God responding to their prayer. The Bible says in James, you do not have because you do not ask. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you haven't asked. And you haven't in one sense given God permission to engage in your life. The last thing I'd like to share with you is the persistence of prayer. And this is very, very important. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, I'm just going to describe it to you for the sake of time. Jesus says this. It says, Now Jesus told His disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to remind them to never give up. To never give up. Jesus told him this story. He said there was this widow. She lived in this town. And they were going to take her land. So she went to the judge for justice. But the judge did not fear God, nor did he care for human beings. And he had no time for this poor widow. And he said, woman... Get out of my presence. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't care about the law. I'm not going to help you. And Jesus said the woman went back and went back and she waited in line until it was her turn in front of the judge. And she went back day after day after day. And finally the judge, in an exasperated way, said, Woman, you were going to drive me crazy with your nagging. And it says, The judge did not fear God and did not fear care about human beings, but because this woman was pestering to death, he gave her what she wanted. And Jesus said, So I say to you, keep on asking and you'll receive. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Keep on seeking and you will find. 
Do you want to know what it takes to get prayers answered? It takes faith. And do you want to know what shows faith? Persistence. If you really believe there's a God, if you really believe that you need God, then we demonstrate it by talking to Him, by getting alone with Him, by developing a routine of prayer in our life, and by asking and asking and asking and asking. There are things I have been asking for for years. I have been praying, as you know, and many of you have joined me, praying for my daughter's health for 17 months. Every day I pray for my daughter. In the morning, when I'm driving back from dropping my son off from school, I use that 17 minutes to pray for my daughter. In the evening, I pray for my daughter. I prayed for my wife's parents for 20 years before there was a breakthrough and one of them came to know Christ. I prayed for my son's Jeremy's mother-in-law who now comes regularly and sits right over here in the front. I prayed for her for four and a half years, often in tears because of the things she thought about our family. Today, she loves our family. She's a beloved member of our family. That was not always the case. I pray for you. I don't know all your names, but I pray for you every day. And I'm going to keep praying. And I'm going to keep praying. I pray for this church. I'm going to keep praying. I pray for this city. I'm going to keep praying. Has everything happened that I hope would happen so far? No. No. Does sometimes God say no to my prayers? Yes. Only because He has something better than the answer that I seek. But let me tell you that most everything I've ever prayed for in my life, God has responded. God has answered And I'm not going to let him go. See, he invites us to this kind of prayer. He invites us to this kind of opportunity. He gives us this privilege to talk to him. And I tell you right now, my life, even though it has all kinds of things that I'm responsible for and pressures bearing down on me, I can't tell you what it's like to just dump those on God. I, I just would not be here tonight. I just simply would not be here tonight. If I had not learned to daily take those burdens and just kind of shuck them off my shoulders and put them on the Lord, my heart would have already broken. With the things that have happened to me in the 30 years that I've been following Christ, I would already have a broken heart. But we can give those to God. Now I want to encourage you, don't wait around to start this habit. Start it this week. Start it tomorrow. Start it on your way to work. Maybe you're in your car, you got a 20-minute drive. Turn the radio off, leave the CD player off for at least 10 minutes. Time yourself and develop a prayer life. Thank God for the things He's given you. Pray for the mean boss that you work for. Pray for the unkind employees that you have to work with. And ask God to bless their life. Pray for the needs that you have. Whatever they might be, big or small or anything in between, God cares about all of them. And I promise you, if you'll stay persistent, if you'll develop the habit, it'll change your life. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you tonight that you're here, that you're available to every single person. There's not a person here tonight that you're not available to. Not one. You care about the needs of every person in this room and in this world. 
Lord, I just pray that you would give them the courage to begin talking to you. Give them the sense of purpose to find a place to be alone, to put a time in their schedule, and to start small and build on that. But get this habit, oh God, into our lives. There's so much at stake. There's so many people who need our prayers. There's so many circumstances that need our prayers. There's so many burdens that need to be literally ejected, unloaded from our lives. Where many of us, many of us are being crushed right now under the weight of the difficulties in our lives. And yet we still won't give them to you. Help us to give them to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.